Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 104, News and Comment, recorded July 21st, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP.com. With apologies to Paul Harvey, this show is simply news and comment because we didn't really have a topic, but we had a lot of news. So there you go. Uh, the guys before the show were saying, you know, do you think that's going to be enough? And I said, with just the news and our commentary on it, that's going to be an hour. Remember when the show used to just be an hour? I think we'll be okay. <laughs> and of course, the guys that I'm referring to are Mr. Chris Knees, the command line godfather. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello, everyone out there in internet land. How are we tonight? And his cohort in crime, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hey, Mark, and not having something to say has yet to stop me. <laughs> That's so. right. We can have nothing to say and say it a lot. Um, yeah, I, I feel important because there's a lot of news in this episode, so I get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you have your water bottle handy. Yes, water is good. Yeah, I actually, do. Seth pretty much did all the work for tonight's show. Uh, Seth and, and you listeners. Um. Uh, so you, I've got a couple of comments there, and Seth did the news, and that's it. So this will be great. The last couple of shows has been a lot of me pontificating, and uh, so now <laughs> it'll be Seth reading stuff. So that'll be interesting. Um, yes. So Chris, what'd you do this weekend of note? Well, what didn't I do this weekend of note? I had a couple of immense things, if my at least in my f- close friends and family type thing. Uh, a good f- close friend of mine got married, so that was kind of fun. We did that yesterday in their backyard and all f- sorts of... Uh, clo- it was only close friends and, and relatives were allowed at the show, and we were one of the peoples that were invited as close friends and the witnesses. So me and my wife got to sign the paper and all that fun stuff. But it was kind of it was a fun little time. That's cool. I uh, I don't know that I've ever mentioned it on the show, but I am actually a licensed minister and have officiated a couple of weddings, and it's always an honor huh. to be one of the the sort of inner circle like that. It's fun. It, it you know it's it's one of those things that I, we wondered how long it was going to take for them to actually you know tie the knot and get and do the whole marriage thing, and. Yeah, it was one of those things we got called like 12 days ago saying, all right, we're going to have a marriage in 10 days, so make sure you have it off your calendar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it was like, oh, yeah, okay, we can do that, I suppose. Uh, I I know a guy, he, he tells a story about some uh, 40-something friends of his that were both uh, second-timers. They'd been married before, and uh, they'd been friends for a while, and they both were uh, uh, fairly uh, affluent, and they sent, uh, I think it was emails, he said, not even phone calls, to like five people and said, we're getting married next weekend in uh, like Aruba, I think it was. Uh, we'll send you a ticket. Come on out. So it was just, you know, wow. by the way, I hope you're not doing anything six days from now because we're flying you to Aruba and we're getting married. I'm thinking, man, I wish I knew that guy better. That would have been awesome. No yeah. kidding. I wasn't one of those friends. Well, geez. That's no fair. Whoever that friend no, was, you just should have mis- stepped he up. He typed out the wrong email address. That's what it was. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's good to have friends. And then when, Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, and then when you didn't show up to his wedding, you definitely weren't one of those <laughs> friends anymore. <laughs> you know, two... Don't want to come to Aruba. 
two of my very very best friends in the you know the early 90s got married and i missed both of their weddings because we got lost uh once was just one was just bad directions i was literally told the entire wrong city my one one you know one guy i'm not gonna say the names uh but uh you know let's say bob was getting married and jim said yeah they're getting married over in smithville and it wasn't Smithville, it was Jonesville. And I was in Smithville looking for a church that doesn't exist when finally I figured out it was entirely the wrong city. And we showed up just in time to see them leaving and people throwing rice at them. Um, oh, at least you get to show up and see that much. Yeah. And then the second wedding, um, it was just we were just late. And, and it seems almost bizarre to say that now with, with GPS on every street corner and, and you know on every phone um to say that you could get lost on the way to somewhere but yeah back then we didn't even have phones right so we had to stop at a pay phone yes kids i said pay phone to even call for directions uh but a pay phone that what would, is that thing that would necessitate that somebody be standing by the one phone at the church because not everybody in the room had a phone you know there weren't 26 phones in the room so um yeah it was a whole different world that must be back when dinosaurs rolled the earth <laughs> Something and, and like that. stuff like that Back when my computer had a 386 processor in it. That's right. And a 14.4 modem. And, <laughs> that's right, baby. Yes. I hadn't and jumped like, up what, to two megs of RAM? <laughs> no, yeah, megs. Yeah, 640K. Yeah, two megs was actually quite a lot back then. Um, I remember when I upgraded to four megs. Yeah, baby. Four megs. Yeah, that was the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> back when RAM meant something. Oh, so uh power of mobile wi-fi what's that about chris yes yes that's uh well my my wife decided to upgrade her phone not to reach not too long ago and we've never had the power of a mobile hotspot before because you don't even and have so a we were, phone right nope no i don't um i go along the lines of uh i'm a tech I'm like a doctor. When people see me in the grocery store, they pull me aside and say, how do I fix this? So I really don't want to give somebody that much power over finding me and calling me at any time of the day or any place, no matter where I am, at least at this point in my life. You know, we'll you're see not, how that changes. You're, you're, there's no requirement that you answer a phone when it rings, right? You can actually let it I ring. Know. I know. I know. I could. But it's there's even this thing. It may not have reached Montana yet, but it's called caller ID. And it lets you know who's oh. calling. Is that what that's and called? There's oh another thing. It's called voicemail, tech. where somebody can leave you a message. Yeah, that their no, that's voice why I have box. Google Voice and Skype to tell you the truth. But anyway, so yeah, we were on this road trip, which will lead into this story. My next little warm up kicker. But we were in the, we were in the car driving. I think it was about an hour and a half away, and I had my Kindle with me because we're sharing books and reviewing on reviews on a book that me and uh, my friend were doing or reading about and it was uh one of those moments i went oh wait i don't have that book in here for you to read for you to read the 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 you know first chapter this is gonna not work and then i remembered that my wife has a droid and i went wait a minute does it have the ability and i opened up her phone and sure enough it did for a, to turn on the mobile hotspot feature so I was able to connect my Kindle to her mobile hotspot, grab the book, and we continued to tear into a book for the the hour it took us to get to our destination. Yeah, we do that kind of stuff all the time. We'll have you know both kids on their tablets and and the littlest on the iPad, all streaming Netflix from my phone, and uh, 
Of course, my I, I, I get that email pretty quickly after that from AT&T saying, we couldn't help but notice some unusual activity regarding data downloads <laughs> on your non-tethered plan. Uh, <gasps> really? Uh, you don't say... But yeah, we. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. And you say, "Well, it's those stupid hotspots you make me That's connect right. up to." There must be a bug in your software. There you go. That's a good answer next time, Mark. But yeah, in this trip, this which leads into the next little skivet, um, our friend was ending up having to go to the emergency room. So we had a. Uh, she's got a couple of kids, and so we're currently taking care of said kids. And uh, that's what a, that's when a friend is a friend. You know, you'll you'll gladly take. Someone else's children for, at, well, at this point, it's been 24, almost 48 hours. So, See, we have a similar situation in my house this weekend, only it wasn't somebody in the hospital. It was just we're morons. We decided to, <laughs> it would be okay to let several little nine-year-old girls have a sleepover. Actually, you can't really call it, it was a sleepover. It was just an over. They had an over at my house. <laughs> Because there was no sleeping that went on. Um, my, right. my middle child turned nine yesterday, so we had the party. She wanted to have a skating party. There's a, a, a skating rink nearby. Did you know even? I didn't even know they still had those things. But um, they had a package right there where for a, a certain amount of money, up to 20 people can go and skate, and they serve pizza and drinks. And it was, it was, it was nice. We didn't have to do anything except, you know, take a cake. Um that and works. So yeah, the kids and and this here's the coolest thing. I've never seen these anywhere before, but here in the Atlanta area, uh, all the skating rinks have them. Little rolling walkers. They're made out of PVC pipe with with uh, like uh, skateboard wheels on the bottom. So you you huh. plant the little thing in front of you and and let even little bitty kids get out there and and have a, a good time. So you got your little um, PVC walker with with wheels on it. And you can get out there and skate around. And they rent them to you for like five bucks a piece. It couldn't cost them more than ten bucks to make one, so it's a, it's another revenue stream for them, and it lets you know everybody in on the action, which is kind of cool. So, how many of those did you rent out, Mark, for you and your wife? Uh, well, we have three kids. We rented three of them, <laughs> one for each kid. I didn't put on the skates. I I considered it very briefly um, for about a nanosecond, and then I remembered I have a bad knee and two uh, uh, trick ankles, and walking is enough of an adventure for me. So I decided not. In fact, I was out there holding hands with them, you know, when they fell, and I came away sore just from that, just from picking them up off the ground and helping to keep them from fall. I can't imagine what it would have been like if I'd actually strapped wheels on my big giant feet. Oh, but that's the whole point of it. It's fun then. See, we had a skating ring here in, in my town in the sticks, but what happened is, is that no one wanted to pay for the insurance or uh, anything else. And when it became uh, skate at your own risk, the place pretty much closed down. Oh. And what has happened is they turned it into a bounce house um, place. So you can go in there with your, your toddlers and whatnot. And there's about 15 different bouncy castles that have been inflated in the room, and you can just run between each one. Yeah, those so, are popular yeah, kids, here, too. Yeah, kids love them. It's like um, a $10 flat fee, and you can stay as long as you want. It's great. Yep. I, I just, I always wonder, though, um, personally, I would wonder, like, with my daughter, she wears, you know, skirts, and she ha- has a blast, but... I would think that your legs would get rug burn or vinyl burn or whatever that would be sliding down the slides that they have attached to those things. 
I don't know. Maybe well, you're just uh, tougher at that age. I don't know. You know, and you kind of, uh, you kind of bend your knees in, so you're sliding on your butt and your feet. So your legs should yeah. be off of it. You learn that very quickly. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I remember that back in the day, like sliding on a hot metal slide. You you sort of lean lean back a little bit so that just your pants are on it. I remember those days. What metal slides? They've been pretty much removed from every slide and park in the country. Oh, I thought, no, I'm from Texas. We still dangerous. have metal slides with chainsaws at the bottom of them. We, you know, we don't worry <sighs> about that in Texas. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our kids are tougher down here. Speaking of chainsaws, uh, and there's the hiss as somebody begins running water above me. I, I love slash hate my basement recording studio. Um, Anybody happen to see Sharknado either of the two times it was on the air on, on the Sci-Fi channel? I want to see it no, Saturday when they're re-airing it. Well, it's been the, on twice doing, already. Yeah, but see, Saturday they're having an all-day marathon of their best <laughs> shark films. So I don't know how they're going to show any if it's their best shark films. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> So, so I watched about uh, 20 minutes, not even, maybe 18 minutes of it um, when it was first on. And, you know, you, you know it's a bad movie. It's an intentionally, well, I don't know if when they were making it, it was intentionally bad. But when they aired it, it was an intentionally bad movie. Uh, and so you sit down thinking, okay, I'm going to watch a bad movie. This thing was so bad that I couldn't even enjoy it as a bad movie. It was so bad. Really? It was so bad. Um, Just to give you a a brief synopsis, as if the name Sharknado doesn't tell you all you need to know, a rare hurricane hits California. Hurricanes don't hit California. In fact, it's never happened. But this hurricane hits California, and it happens to be during great white shark breeding season. So there's lots of sharks out in the ocean. The winds from the hurricane pick them up and blow them onto shore, spawning off small tornadoes full of sharks, hence Sharknadoes. Um, And, of course, being the mindless killing machines that sharks are, while being scooped up out of their natural habitat, spun around at hundreds of miles an hour, and flung onto land, they're still hungry. And they land (laughs) wanting to eat people. There's a scene early on, and it was when I turned it off. Well, no, actually, I I went a little farther. um, Where... A shark lands on a pier. Okay, first off, the shark would have freaking exploded if it fallen from 100 feet and landed on a wooden pier. But no, the shark was fine. And then there's a, there's a woman there who was running away and just happened to you know break a heel or whatever and fell over. And so the shark is at her feet. And, and she's screaming, going, ah! Okay, it's a shark on land. All she had to do was like, scoot. Problem solved. All right, the shark, <laughs> the shark can't, locomote in any way the best it can do is flop in a general direction but not forward it can go left or right no all she had to do was just sort of move in any one general but no instead she just lay there going ah! and so the her rescuer instead of grabbing her and like pulling her an 18th of an inch and thus solving the situation no his resolution to it was doing the jaws thing he shoved an air tank down the shark's face and blew it up with a shotgun thus exploding the shark not hurting the woman amazingly enough um and and this was just in like the first six minutes of the movie wow (laughs) there's another scene where this giant two-ton shark is flying through the air 
and chomping, of course, looking to eat the the first thing that it comes into contact with as it's flying through the air. And yeah, flying burns a lot of calories, Mark. You got to keep your energy up. <laughs> and so this dude's standing there with a chainsaw. And instead of just like sidestepping it, going, oh, excuse me, whoop, and taking one step to the left and letting the shark fly aimlessly by because it can't move. It's the water creature in the air. No, no. He holds up a chainsaw, which the shark then runs into and slices perfectly in half and lands in two pieces on either side of him. Thus, neatly sawed in half by the chainsaw. It's the best bad movie ever, but it's so bad, I couldn't even make it through. That's that's bad. That's even that. I don't. That's. I'm glad I sidestepped the movie and not even watched it. I'm waiting for the book. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the kind of it's the kind of movie that hopefully will be on Netflix. And, you know, you can get around with a bunch of your guys some Saturday afternoon with the frosty beverage of your choice and just laugh at it. But just me in my in my living room myself on a Thursday night or whatever it was on, it was just even it was more badness than I could handle. But let me ask you, have you heard, Mark, they have green lighted the sequel. It's going to be set in New York, and I'm not. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. Because you so know, sequels th- usually even have a smaller budget than the first one. <laughs> I don't even know where to go I, with that. It's yeah, just a it's bad a movie. Sharknado Two. <laughs> Take a bite out of the Big Apple or something like that. I just, I'm going to trademark that Sharknado Two. Take a bite out of the Big Apple so I can get some royalties. This time, there you it's go. Personal. Oh, this time it's personal. <laughs> and there was some uh, Google Sharknado tweets, and I think it's um, I can't remember the site, but somebody compiled some of the. It was one of the most social events ever, gathering more tweets per minute than the death of Michael Jackson, uh, and the presidential inauguration, you know, any of that stuff. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But somebody took some of the best uh, tweets and put them together. My The only one I can remember off the top of my head is, I wonder how many people are adding, and I would totally chainsaw you out of a shark to their wedding vows right now. <laughs> but, but, you know, surprisingly, it's not even really one of their best ranked movies in terms of, uh, you know, market share. So I don't, there's got to be either something wrong with market share or or something because it had a you're right it had a boatload of uh social media about it um and that might have been where all the budget was they hired tweeters to tweet at specific (laughs) times or that they uh they rented out one of those botnets to post random tweets uh just to make it appear uh so you know uh sci-fi has always made bad movies and now they're uh capitalizing on the badness of their movies Hey, as long as they yeah. figured they figured out another revenue stream, That's good right. for them. You know, maybe they'll Sharknado the as bad as he was was better than Defiance on its best day. So I so wanted Defiance <laughs> to be good. Ah, want the the premise was there. It was I was like, hey, this could be really cool, and it just wasn't. Yeah, and I I couldn't even watch it anymore. It was just so ugh. The special effects were know. bad, the acting was bad, and the hot chick wasn't hot enough to save it. You know, Wait a minute, there was acting? Uh, there was, you know, alleged acting. <laughs> okay. 
All right. That's enough of our comments. Let's read some listener comments. Uh, Sean writes in asking about installing microtorrent. Uh, maybe MuTorrent, it's known. U-Torrent uh, is how it's usually written, but the name is actually MicroTorrent. Uh, he says, many months ago, I reinstalled Windows on my laptop because, as Mark's Audacity machine knows, some things, like three, aren't, aren't best on Linux. Due to the laptop's age and some drivers, I favored XP over Ubuntu. Uh, but since I bought a new laptop this past week, I want to start back up with Ubuntu again. My problem is that I've forgotten a handful of seemingly basic tasks. Somehow I managed to install the Linux version of XAMPP and made a .sh, but I can't uh, get uTorrent to install. MicroTorrent. Uh, I keep typing dot slash whatever, but it says bash dot ut server no such file or directory. Can you tell me what I could be doing wrong? I figure it's more than just MicroTorrent... Uh, Figure that more than just MicroTorrent will become a problem for me in the future. Uh, I'm running a 64-bit install of Ubuntu 13.04 with Unity. P.S. My Xerox prints with 13.042. I guess you just have to wait five years for print drivers nowadays. Uh, Sean, it sounds to me like you have not marked the execute bit on your executable. Sounds as simple as that. You downloaded it, you untarred it, but you didn't mark it executable, so it can't do it. See, and the other thing I would say, though, is remember that maybe that particular build of the version you download is still in their alpha stage, and it may have a bug in it to start with as well. Um, when I went over their website, I did notice that the Linux versions are marked as alphas, so it might just be that the that particular version has a bug. Um, you could look at some of the alternative if you're doing a lot of bit torrenting and you're looking for a good torrent client, there's a lot already pre-built into Linux that do just as good, if not better, uh, on for for lack of a better way of wording it, uTorrent. Yeah, I, I would I would say that particular tool is not your best option. There are there are other tools there, but I think going back to your original question, that it's more that you forgot how to install than anything. Sounds to me like you just didn't set the the um, execute bit. Every file, as we mentioned a little bit last week in our SE Linux episode, uh, has uh, three levels of permissions in the Linux file system: read, write, and execute. And nothing, even executables, by by default, aren't given the executable bit. And if you're downloading something that's an executable file, it'll be saved on your system as not executable. It's just one of uh, Linux's built-in safety precautions. So you have to, you know, assuming you're using Nautilus uh, in GNOME, you right-click properties and check the box next to execute. And then yep. it'll pop up a little warning saying, are you sure you want to do this? Bad things can happen if you do. And then you'll be able to uh, dot slash run the script. That's That's yep. what it sounds like to me. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, there's nothing more to say about that. <laughs> That's pretty much probably what it is. Um, unless you have it located in a different directory, then you're trying to, you know, it, I'm not sure where you would be going other than having it in your home directory unless you untart it into your bit, your bin file. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that's the execute bit. Uh, for lack, for as much information as you've given us, that's the best guess we can have. Interesting bit of trivia while we're here. The tar. Uh, file is a uh, it means a tarball originally a developer was sharing time on a unix server as as was the the day back 
uh, the common practice back in the day. Um, and he needed to uh, uh, save up all of his work in in one thing. So he he rolled up what he called a tar ball. Basically, you you know you a tar tar is sticky. A tar ball, you roll stuff in it, and it sticks to it. So it took all his files and stuck them into one tar ball that he could later untar, and they'd be in the same place in the same order. Later, they added compression to that. To that, it became a, a tar slash GZ for GZip, and then later the Windows world got a hold of it and became zip files. So that all began with a developer who was interrupted by uh, the time sharing. He didn't have enough time to finish his thing, so he cobbled together a quick script to just dump all of his separate files into one file that he could easily copy off to probably a, he, a punch card or something. He just couldn't afford the maintenance fees of his timeshare, I think, and had to uh, <laughs> vacate. Well, you know, they, they only let you stay there for two weeks at a time, and then you have to leave for at least a couple of days. That's the, right. the rule. <laughs> anyway, just, just a bit of history there that I picked up somewhere along the way and thought I would share with you. Michael writes in with some comments about Show 102. We got actually quite a bit of, of commentary on that one. Uh, he says, hi, guys. I'm a Linux wannabe user with a Raspberry Pi that I occasionally tinker with but never seem to quite achieve what I want. I'll get there one day. A couple of comments regarding EDL show number 102. Mark, regarding your problems with AT&T Wi-Fi, try the app Smart Wi-Fi Toggler by Cebu Ajuihan. He says, don't even ask me how to pronounce it. So that was my best guess. It's a free and very easy to use and configure. You just authorize the Wi-Fi networks you want to allow, and anything else gets blocked. Great little app, and with a bit of luck, it might just sort out your phone. Um, regarding that, I was complaining about the fact that, uh, I have an AT&T phone bought, you know, from AT&T, uh, and they, um, couldn't, um, oh, wait, I lost my train of thought. The, they've got it set where every time you drive by a free AT&T Wi-Fi hotspot at a Starbucks or a McDonald's or whatever, it automatically jumps onto it. And if I'm, if I'm streaming something, um, from my uh connection like pandora or whatever and when it jumps onto that and makes me want to sign on I, I lose my connection and i was grumbling about the fact that i can't turn it off and so uh michael uh says that this might work what i did try i found that uh as a root user you can go in and you can edit a particular config file and delete the priority or reduce the priority of that so that it won't do it and it worked, but every time my phone restarts, I have no Wi-Fi, and I have to go in there and redo that again. So that turned out to be not a good thing. So maybe I will try your smart Wi-Fi toggler. All right, he carries on. Number two, Seth, I'll apologize in advance, but I'm a Brit, and therefore I'm naturally pedantic. I should warn you that Glasgow does not rhyme with glass cow. No, it's more like Glasgow. Believe me, you wouldn't want to get that wrong if you ever visited the place. So there you go. <laughs> I don't remember you mentioning that, but you must have mispronounced it. Um, I think it's actually the next point he makes. The uh, the Legos and Pie story okay. was at um, Glasgow. And then he says, Seth, again, question this time. Lego is just a brand name in the UK, yet you keep saying Legos when we talk about bricks or blocks. Just curious. Uh, yeah, it's a brand name here, but uh, they also have a patent, or did for a very long time, on that particular brick with dots pattern on it. So Legos were the only type of blocks you could 
of that type interlocking blocks you could get. So they became synonymous like Jello or Kleenex or or Rollerblade. It's a it's a and, brand name and, we use to represent a generic thing. Well, and plus in the article they specifically used Lego bricks as opposed to I think um, micro blocks are the uh, cheaper generic version that you can find at Walmart here in the states across the pond. And the generics, by the way, just became available very recently, like in the last three or four years. Yep. Uh, their patent just right. ran out. It used to be Legos were the only type of interlocking bricks you could get. All right. Then he goes, on the to, <laughs> he goes on to say, I know you want iTunes rating, but geez, do I really have to go there? Please tell me there's another way. Can't wait to uninstall that piece of, well, let's just say it should be registered in poop log. Uh, thanks for your sacrifice michael for installing itunes just to give us a rating yeah your sacrifice does not go unnoted and then a couple of comments that i'm going to read back to back uh he says at the uh at the bottom of this one finally what's up with the website i went to elmanopi.com and got a blank page google gave me a link to the live stream page what worked but i'm confused he says, keep up the great work, guys. I love the occasional dips into Linux. <laughs> I love the way he puts that. Still encouraging to keep me dipping my toes in. One day, I'll get there. I'm heading off to find some bacon now. Oh, yeah. Why not rebrand it as Everyday Bacon? And then move right into Kane comments. Hey, guys, uh, where's the show this week? I really miss listening to your show. Hope everything is okay and look forward to getting the next episode. Cheers, Kane from the Great White North. Well, uh, this show goes out on Wednesday, Wednesdays. We record on Sundays. Uh, early Monday morning sometime, my website crashed. Elementop.com went away. And yes, when you went there, In a big it, was, way. it was the Drupal white screen of death. It was just gone. And I spent the next four days um, tinkering with that, trying to get it back. So alternately, you might have seen the white screen. You might have seen a Drupal install script. You might have seen a uh, resource not found, just various things as I tried to uh, f um, get it back. However, the show was always there. Kane, had you been subscribed via RSS, that is a whole separate feed. I never put all my eggs in one basket in that particular case. So uh, the feeds were, were there. It still came out Wednesday morning. If you were subscribed, uh, you didn't miss a beat. So those of you who listen on your podcatcher of, device, uh, of, of choice never noticed. Uh, but if you go to the website and click the play button, then yeah, you were kind of out of luck for a while. Um, the issue turned out to be um, something on the, on the um, hosting provider side. They had some sort of issue. They finally admitted to that. Uh, and something about that, whatever happened there, corrupted my MySQL database. Not all of it, just one table of it uh, in such a way that it still would pass a check. There's MySQL has a check function, and it would check out as as healthy as as it didn't show corrupted, but the data in it wasn't good. So like all the structure was there, and of course the check can't know what the data is supposed to be. Um, so I would restore from my backups, which by the way I'm going to complain a little bit about my hosting provider, uh, HostMonster.com. Usually, if I mention them at all, it's in a very positive light. Uh, I pay for a backup service for them. It's not a lot of money. I'm going to go say that right up front. It's 12 bucks a year, but it's an, it's an added backup service so that I can backup and restore files directly from their servers. Because at this point, I have hundreds of gigabytes on my server. If I have to download it all and then re-upload it all, it would literally take weeks to get it all back up there. 
So I pay for this service so that I can offload it to another section on their server and and then push it back if I need to. So when it went down, I thought, well, you know, uh, it it was just all down for a couple of hours. Worst case scenario, the backup starts at, at midnight server time, and this happened sometime early in the morning. I'll just restore the backup. Uh, well, it turns out they don't make um, full backups ever. They only do incremental backups, which is the dumbest backup system I've ever heard in my life. I mean, how do you know what's incremental if you never have a full backup? So yeah, even, no kidding. even I went back to, they have a daily, a weekly, and a monthly. And I went back to the monthly, and the monthly had like six files in it, just the files that had changed that month. Well, that's useless. I need the whole thing somewhere so that I can compare the differentials to. And when I complained to a, to a guy on the phone, he said, yeah, well, you have to back up your own site. No, I pay you to back up my site. Why would you tell me I have to back up my, what point, what's the point of your service? Why have a site backup pro option that I can pay for if you're not actually backing up my site? And he said, oh, well, we don't money. He said, we don't guarantee our backups. We, uh, we never say that they're, they're going to be solid or complete. And I said, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that you don't have a copy in your backup of the service that I'm paying for, and you're okay with that. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not me. It's the guy. I said, okay, you as a representative of hostmonster.com are telling me that hostmonster.com doesn't have my files and hostmonster.com is fine with that. And he didn't like the answer that he was going to have to give me. And he said, well, let me see what I can do. <laughs> so he put me on hold for 45 minutes and then came back later and said, um, I'm restoring your site from one of our archives. Okay. He said, that'll take a couple of hours. This was late at night by my time now. It was midnight my time there in um, uh, Nevada, I think it is. So the totally different three-hour time difference. Uh, so I was I was pretty – Utah, that's where they are. Yeah, Utah. Uh, anyway, so I was ready to go to bed, and when I got up the next morning, it turns out he had just restored a partial backup, the same ones that I have access to already. It just – I was just tired at that point, just worn out. Um, so, um, don't, you know, I love host monster. I really do. It's a good product for the good price, but if you're paying for the backup service, don't, it's a waste of money. So anyway, that's all I have to say about that. I did eventually get it back using, um, a daily backup. I was able to find the one file that was corrupt. I ended up having to actually delete the whole database and reinstall it. Reinstall it Cause when I was doing a restore, it was not overwriting that for some reason. But when I completely deleted the database, uh, downloaded a copy of it first, completely deleted it, reinstalled it, reset all my permissions, reran the the install script, then everything came back up. So it was a little pain in the butt. It only took like 10 minutes to fix once I figured out what I needed to fix. It took four days to figure out what I needed to fix. So if you were wondering what happened to the website, that's what it is. A server glitch caused a database corruption, and then idiocy caused an inability to back up and restore. Bummer. Yeah. And I, that's what happens in the web. <laughs> yeah. I don't like... And why you have good backups. Well, see, that, that's the thing. What what good would it... I can... I mean, we have the, I have the option. I can go download the whole thing. There's even a full cPanel backup. I can download it. So, okay, great. Then what? I mean, even at my relatively high bandwidth um, cable or DSL connection, I've only got 1.5 megs up. 
How long would it take to move 600 gigs at 1.5 megs? Three weeks? So a backup is useless if you can't restore from it. So, I mean, it would be faster to actually mail them a hard drive and have them do it. Uh, so it, I'm in a situation where the backups aren't backups, and and I'm I'm totally useless. I need a site. I need a service out there. See if somebody knows of something. Let me know. If not, some entrepreneur go build it, and I'll be your first customer. I need a site to site backup service on the web. Somebody with tier one bandwidth and and storage space. Let me give you you know uh, the ability to tap into my database. You back it up, and my files, you back it up, and if I ever need it, you restore it for me. Now, there's some trust there. Obviously, we're going to have to have a pretty good contract if I'm giving you my passwords or giving you a separate set of passwords. Uh, but there's a service, there, there's, a, there's a market there for that. I would pay fairly heavily for that service. Um, well, in, most, in most sites would, too, if there are heavy traffic sites like that. And we're not that heavy traffic, but I know a lot of heavy traffic sites that would pay out the nose for stuff like that. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's uh, once you get to a certain size, the ability to store your own because I have an archive of you know on a hard drive on many hard drives here at my house of backups. But my, I finally got to the point where the size of my site was so big that the backups were pointless. I can back it up every day or every week or every month. I can do that, but what good is it? Because I can't restore it. it. There's it's not practical to restore that much data. So, right. I, I, you know, you can say have good backups, and that's certainly a good idea, but there is no good backup solution when you have a site with, you know, several hundred gigs of data. Yeah, except for mailing them the hard drive and have the right. hope the data center guy can take care of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a level of trust, I mean, th- that I simply no longer have. And, and I'm, I can hear somebody out there saying, well, go with a different hosting company. Well, the thing is, most of the hosting companies are actually owned by the same company, Bluehost and HostMonster and the HostGator, and there's another one. They're all owned by the same company, so it'd be the same in Epnist. And then if I did go somewhere else entirely, it's still the same problem unless they have better backups. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do know I'm going to rant about it on my podcast in front of fives of people. <laughs> yeah. Take that. Have at thee. <laughs> Uh, and then moving on to uh, Snake Eyes, he has also something to say about show 102. He says, good morning, sirs. How about that, guys? We're sirs now. Oh, wow. Really? He must not have been listening long. says, I just finished listening <laughs> to the latest Everyday Linux episode 102 and went to check the show notes. Did I miss the link to the article about the open source Bible? I apologize, and I'm sure you probably have a dozen of these emails, but I figure if I don't, then there's a chance, albeit tiny, that everyone else figured everybody else already did it. And so in doing so, I did not now. There's a long chain. (laughs) That's what he said. He said, there's a long logic chain. Um, So I'm going to say, Snake Eyes, I don't even know what you're talking about. I remember that. I don't know if there's a link there or not. I'll try to remember after the show to go check it out. But no, you're the first person who said anything about it. So if it was there... It wasn't a case of me getting dozens of emails about it. Okay, moving on along. He says, love the podcast. Been listening for a few months now since stumbling across it while searching for Linux podcast and been listening since. Keep it up. And then he says, a a little about myself. I like hearing a little about my listeners. So that's good stuff. He says, I'm still in the semi-new to Linux on again, off again area. Toyed with Linux off and on. Remember back when Fedora first split and came out or around. Wow, this guy the way he thinks, when I was in college around 2001. So it's been a while. 
I just haven't stuck long enough to get past the level where I can be extremely dangerous to myself and others. Uh, with the equipment we have at work and uh, being no longer a diehard gamer, uh, reforming bit by bit, we're stuck. Uh, we were we're stuck with Windows for some time, but since some of the software doesn't rel- run well under Windows 7, I don't even want to think about Windows 8, and XP is becoming dead to Microsoft, and with the entertainment of being, hey, you're technically inclined, do IT as well as engineering at work, and seeing all the I clicked an email link and things just don't work to the settings are messed up again, I've been trying to get more into Linux, perhaps virtual machines down the road. Just trying to upgrade the antique of a server is an exercise in pulling teeth. It's running, so there must not be any problems. Ugh. In my spare time, I'm thinking I might be able to curb or at least put a dent in some of the issues in this environment. I think I just might give Linux Academy a go as well. I've been hemming and hawing uh, since you guys first had him on as a guest. Anywho, failing in the long story short department, love the podcast and look forward to it each week. Well, uh, that was a convoluted email. I'm not sure what I got out of it other than Snake Eyes likes the show and he likes Linux Academy, which gives me the perfect opportunity to talk to you about the Linux Academy. If you're, you learning- know, I was going to say first is that he seems to like he probably enjoys our show because we're back and forth and off topic <laughs> right. a lot, like him. So he thinks he's found like long lost Kindred brothers spirits. listening to the show. <laughs> hey, look, there's three guys that can't keep a single thought in their head. That's perfect. They Ooh, get shiny. me. <laughs> So, uh, Linux Academy, if you're learning, if you want to learn Linux, that's the place to go. It's the Academy. It's about Linux. You learn Linux. It's a perfect thing. Uh, they offer step-by-step video courses to help beginners learn to run Linux servers uh, and to prep for certification. So if you're just a guy like Snake Eyes there who wants to know more about it for your own benefit, perfect. If you want to learn more about it for your, uh, the b- benefit of your career, perfect still. It comes with your own Linux lab server that lets you run up to eight different distributions so you can uh, test in real-world environments and see how things are different between one distribution and another. Uh, you get PDF study guides that you can use for, use for reference sheets. So the, the main um, con- uh, body of their content is videos, uh, over 100 training videos on different topics. Uh, and you can even get a DVD for offline viewing if you want. They're also high definition uh, and uh, mobile compatible, so you can watch them on your mobile browsers. Uh, but because some people need uh, additional resources, they can't just watch one, see one, do one, teach one kind of thing, uh, they have PDF study guides, so you can have reference sheets to follow while you're watching or after the fact that you can study up on. And while you're studying up, you can even they now have a quiz uh, system so that you can uh, test your own knowledge before or after you watch a video. Um, you can see, and that's a good way. All right, I'm going to take this quiz now. I think I understand the root environment. Let's see. I'm going to take this test on it. Okay, I made a 50. Maybe I don't know much about it as I should. Let's go watch this series of videos. And they have a, an a la carte lesson browser that lets you do that. You can pick and choose the things that you need to know about. You can watch them as many times as you want. Um, and the system will keep track of what you have watched, what you haven't watched. Then you can take the quizzes. The system keeps track of the quizzes and what you've done and what you haven't. And you can match that all up together. And it gives you a full uh, dashboard of learning. I just coined that phrase. Copyright that quickly. The dashboard of learning tells you where you are, where you've been, and where you're headed. So you don't have to take the full um, Linux Security 101 course, you can just take one little piece of it if you think that's what you need. And the test will help you know where you are and where you need to be. 
Um, everything is right there available to track your progress. And how much would you expect to pay for such an amazing service? No, wait, there's more. You get a set of Ginsu net. No, no Ginsu nets. But all of this for only 19 bucks a month, not even 20. It's not even 20 bucks, $19 a month. Or if you buy two months, you'll get a third one for free. So that's $38 a quarter. So $38 a quarter, four quarters in a year for 160 bucks. Less, $156. And quick math, my brain nearly blew up. You can have a year of high quality learning for less than you would pay to take one test at some other places. Really. It's it's just, it's a pittance. But if you're not sure you're, you're committed, you're not sure you want to shuck out the full $19. If that's a big commitment to you, how about a buck? You give them a buck just to show Anthony that you've got an account that you can send money back and forth and that if you decide to keep it, you're actually a real person who's not just yanking his chain. You give him a buck, he'll give you 14 days. That's fair. How about a dollar for 14 days of access to amazing content? If you like it, give kick in another 18 bucks and you get the rest of the month. It's it's a good quality stuff at it's almost no cost. At this point, you might as well consider it free, really. I mean, you spend more than pizza and beer on a weekend than you could spend on a full quarter of learning from the Linux Academy. And it's good stuff. It's really yeah. high-quality stuff uh, made by people, p- professionals in the inner industry. So it's not just a guy reading a book and t- telling you what the book says. It's a guy who's actually done this stuff, uh, telling you real insider tricks, and then giving you an environment where you can play with it. Get your own Amazon uh, service account where you can play with it. You can blow it up. You can screw things up without without fear, without your boss coming down on you. Just wipe it out and start over again. So it's an awesome thing for not much money. So check it out. When you go there, use the uh, code EverydayLinux in the referral form. Let them know you found out about it here. Uh, we won't get anything for that other than a warm feeling of knowing that we sent you there. So check it out, linuxacademy.com. Tell your friends and tell your family because it's a good place to go. And I'm yeah, telling the you, the extra scratch you can make uh, after you get learning Linux, you'll be able to afford pizza and beer every weekend and not just once a month. Think, think about it. Honestly, think about that. You get one gig, one part-time weekend gig based off the information that you learned there. And this thing has paid for itself 10 times over. Because you can demand 50, 75, 100 bucks an hour, even as an intermediate level Linux administrator. So let's say, let's say you 50 bucks an hour. You do three hours worth of work in a year, this site has made you money. It's, and there it's you a no-brainer. Go. Just do it. Just do it. Just go do it. What are you sitting there for? Go do it. LinuxAcademy.com. Yeah, pause the podcast. Go sign up. We'll wait. Mm-hmm. Are you back yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, let's go. <laughs> so let's move on now to the tech news. The, the bevy of news on the site. And this one is actually a holdover from last week because the show was just getting long and out of hand and I I, I wanted to cut it, but it's good because uh, I'm interested in this personally. I want this device. Um, and it's so ready to go, Seth. This is cool. 
Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm breaking form here because we're kicking off the Linux news section with an actual Linux news story. I know. How weird is that? Um, <gasps> I know. It's, How it's, dare it's you? a news episode. So we're breaking form and we're going for it all the way. Um, you know, you've heard of the pogo plug. Um, and, um, what you've heard you know, of the pogo, to... pogo plug from me. I have raved about the pogo plug before. Right. So these guys, um, they call this a prism free storage, you know, because prism has been in the news so much, but what it does is take a, uh, it's a very tiny box, not much bigger than an actual USB thumb drive that you plug in to, um, and you hook up to the network. And then what it does is it sends your storage to your USB drive, wherever it happens to be online. So you're not storing your information in the cloud, but, let's say you are storing it to your home computer when you're at work or your home computer when you're off visiting friends or family. So it is a way to remotely back up, but it's a remote backup that you are in charge of. I think it's a pretty interesting device. Of course, you know, you don't have the fire and forget of the cloud. It's still, you still want to have it somewhere else, but it looks really neat. Um, it's, produced by a company called cloud guys corporation which really like i say it has nothing to do with the cloud other than it uses it to put your data on your device in a separate location so you know you don't have to go through the time of launching email and uh, attaching files and sending or setting up dropbox or something like that you can have an external hard drive plugged in somewhere and use this device to uh, connect to it and send i i think it's pretty cool so essentially it's a web browser or excuse me a web server in a box with a client so when you copy something to this phantom drive that it creates on your system it syncs that up to wherever your box happens to be plugged in uh, i assume they probably have some sort of server side natting on their side so that they can always hook up and you don't have to worry about firewalls and stuff like that so it it looks like an outbound connection rather than an inbound I'm guessing right. uh, that's really the only way to make this work. Uh, so it's a box that you put wherever you want the box to be, and then you send stuff to it and pull stuff down from it from wherever you are. That's yeah, that's now, awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying that's cool. Yeah, I, the one thing is, you know, it's not like you're connecting to the internet. You're connecting to somewhere else. So if you're at work where you have, you know, gig, to the cloud and then you go to like my house at home where i have you know two cardboard boxes and some lint holding it together <laughs> uh it i can't really just upload you know the entire uh the entire run of stargate uh sg1 and get it at home it would take forever to get to my house so uh it's one of those it's really cool but you forget because oh we got a we got gig to the desktop here at work but i only got 256 at home uh you know then it's going to take a while to come down to your house so that that would be the one drawback that you would have to consider uh with this but um other than that it looks really cool and it's um i think the retail they're going to do is 69 dollars. and the thing that was really cool it doubled it uh it doubled its kickstarter goal in like less than a day yeah so they had a seventy thousand dollar goal on Kickstarter, they met that goal in twelve hours. So this wow. there's a de- there's a pent up demand for this thing. I have a Pogo Plug device. I paid uh, ninety nine for it, I think, 
And it, it essentially does this, but Pogo Plug has pretty much ruined their service. They no longer, uh, now they're trying to be a Dropbox competitor. They don't even, as far as I know, even sell these boxes anymore. And those of us who have the boxes are left with an, uh, an antiquated system that, that isn't well supported anymore. Now I don't even, I can't even really access it over the internet like I'm supposed to. I just, I ST, uh, SFTP files up to it because it's running on Linux. Um, and that's how I use it. Uh, basically, Pogoplug has uh, uh, abandoned the market as uh, as not uh, commercially viable. So these people are stepping into it. And the fact that they met that goal in such a short time shows that there's people out uh, out there like me who want it. Yeah, and it's running an open WRT-based Linux distribution. That's how it ties into the show. Represent cool. the penguin. <laughs> And my Google Hangout has just frozen. Actually, the oh, whole no. laptop is frozen, but that's all right. We're still going. I just can't read my notes. Uh, so I will say something about the Moto X and let Seth take it from there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard that um, Google purchased Motorola for some, I don't know, pie billion or some some weird scientifically significant number, billions of dollars. <laughs> and... Um, and then, you know, they've tried to release some phones and they've had um, marginally better luck than Microsoft Surface RT. Um, so anyway, they're putting their hopes on the, um, what is it called? The draw in the new Moto X is what Moto they're X. doing. And they're committing like half a billion dollars to the advertising campaign. So coming out soon, you are going to be hearing about this thing and you're going to be sick about it because Google is putting wads and wads of cash because they're kind of worried because Samsung makes more money off of Android than Google does and Samsung is like the dominant Android player so Google doesn't want to be left out of the uh, Android hardware game and it's just it's kind of the phone's going to be really good um, in terms of its hardware specs. And, you know, Google's phones, Google's devices, you know, their Nexus devices and Nexus phones have been good. But the thing is, they're just they're putting some marketing muscle behind it to try to get it out there to compete with Apple and Samsung and become I I don't think they want to be the number one phone, but they want to be, um, you know, a force in the, top five. In the phone market. Yeah, and all of this stuff right now is speculative. Uh, Google hasn't actually released specs about it or, or uh, not official specs, but the rumors are that it's going to be um, a high-end hardware uh, comparable to the, the latest model like the HTC One or the, the Nexus 4 uh, at a significantly lower price. Like, um, you know, like the Nexus 7 came in and was excellent hardware at a low price. They're they're looking to do that again with the phone. So the numbers I've heard again, all totally speculative, uh, are like three hundred bucks for this phone, uh, which would yeah, be if, it would be a loss, is what it would be. Uh, they'd be selling yeah. it at a loss. But if they can yeah, but, circumvent some of the other some of the other developer some of the other phones, it might be worth it then. Well, the Kindle Fire is sold at a loss, and Kindle's making lots of money off of it. So it's the sort of the same thing. We'll give you this great piece of hardware, and you'll spend more in the play market, and that's where we'll make their money. I, for one, would would line up to buy that. De- no, I wouldn't do that. I would buy it very quickly, though, if if there was this high uh, hot piece of uh, hardware like they say it is for three hundred bucks. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that that's what they want. They want market share. And you know, when you're sitting on, you know, when you're sitting on as much money as they are, well, and you want market share, well, it's like we got all this market share. Let's trans. We got all this cash. Let's translate into market share. Okay, mm-hmm. done. At least that's what they're hoping. And uh, uh, this is actually an older story from last week, but we we couldn't let it pass by. Um, the original top dog search engine is gone. Alta Vista is no more. Uh, back oh. in the day, before Google, there was Yahoo and there was Alta Vista, and Alta Vista was the geek's search engine. And then Yahoo bought it, and now Yahoo is killing it, has killed it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was dead long before they bought it. Uh, unfortunately, it, they, it was just a corpse that they thought was worth money. Um, and I love, I mean, I remember going to Alta Vista before it was altavista.com. I can't, I think it was .net, but I remember if you went to altavista.com, it was some company's website and their front page was, did you mean to go to the search engine? Click here. <laughs> if you want to enter our site, click here. And then eventually at some point, all they uh the search engine purchased the site but yeah i loved alta vista that was my search engine of choice uh to go to i i mean i use yahoo i had a yahoo email address but i loved alta vista and alas we knew thee well um geeks loved you but um google was just younger and hotter and you couldn't compete and we're sorry um Rest in peace, Alta Vista. Well, Alta Vista was was one of the first who had the audacious goal of indexing the web. They put uh, crawlers out there, robots, that their idea was to index the web every, I think their original goal was once a month. No, it was sooner than that because the web was small back then. Uh, But they visited, literally visited every link on the internet. Um, Yahoo was uh, was doing some crawling, but they relied on users to do it, and they they had this categorizing thing. That that was how they were going to differentiate themselves. It wasn't a raw search engine, but it was a, a category list. So you would go in there. I remember registering my sites with Yahoo, and you'd go in there and, and say what type of site you are, and you'd have to go in. Sort of GeoCities had the same sort of thing of neighborhoods. They were going to lay things out in streets and yep. neighborhood things. Everybody back then was trying to figure out how to organize the web. And Alta Vista said, let's just index it. Let's just do it like a card catalog at a library. And they were the first to do that. And then Google came along and did that exact same thing, just did it better and faster. Uh, so right. you know, they were pioneers in the fact that they had this audacious goal that now we just take for granted. We just assume that as soon as you make a blog post, it's going to be indexable and searchable on Google. And it's true, it does. It happens within minutes, if not hours. Uh, but back in the day, Alta Vista was the first to try that, and they had they had the most complete results. It was great. And now they're just they're gone. Farewell, old friend. Farewell. I say we have a moment of silence for Alta Vista. All right, that's about long enough. Uh, okay. So, so since we've said. <laughs> said goodbye to an old friend let's make fun of somebody now if you ever listen to one of the other shows that we used to do and hope to do again uh on this uh, network called uh the periodic table you'll know that uh, florida is where all the weird crazy people seem to go well apparently the weird crazy people are also uh in the legislative offices and florida banned the internet 
Yes, you heard that right. They banned the internet. Yeah, uh, this was back in April, and the goal was they were trying to stop gambling uh, by approving a ban on slot machines and internet cafes. But unfortunately, it was written in such a way that it bans all computers and smartphones in the state. Um, so, and of course, I, I it won't make it if it hasn't already been sued. But it was just funny that it came to light, and I was just like, "Wow, you know, Florida is taking a hard line. They are banning the they're banning the whole internet, and all the cafes were forced to all the internet cafes were forced to shut down. Um, and then there were complaints, and there's lawsuits, and hopefully, the law has it's currently written. If it hasn't already, hopefully it will be scrapped. Um, I mean, I understand, and, and there's some, they had some noble intentions, but again, you know, it, it's the old people who don't know what them, their computer ad machine things is, um, trying to write language to make them illegal, uh, in very specific situations. You know, it would kind of be if I were to write about what kind of surgery shouldn't need to be performed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, doctors would cringe trying to read that. Um, you know, so in much the same way, a bunch of lawyers don't need to, uh, say what computers are right and what computers are wrong. So, so here's the line that, that it says, uh, quote, all, uh, any system or network of devices that may be used in a game of chance. Okay, find well, a everything. find a network device or system so that can't be used uh, in a game of chance. So the abacus, you're still in there. Um, yeah, a board game is good because it's one game. <laughs> right, it's not a network. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, that room says they banned the random number generator. Pretty much. Um, so so you don't, that means also the Xbox would be banned, yep. PlayStation Network would be banned. Um, <laughs> that's so awesome. if it's if it's a network device and it can be used, not is used, but can be used to play a game of chance, it's illegal in Florida. There you go. <laughs> that's funny. Well, Florida listeners out there, it's been nice having you. Uh, and uh, we uh, we'll say goodbye with grace. Well, and actually, they can't hear us now. So unless right. you know somebody's pilot pirating the Element OP feed, uh, and a little Which sad could be news: possible. Ubuntu forums are crunched. They're dead. There's been a security be- breach, and the Ubuntu yep. forum is offline and has been for a while. Yeah, this started uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, there were first reports of defacement and then later the site was taken down. And if you go to ubuntuforums.org, it automatically redirects to slash announce. And they have announced that all of their users accounts have been stored. Uh, every user's local username, password and email address from the Ubuntu forums database. Now, um, they do say the passwords are not stored in plain text, but are stored in salted hashes. So all that means is it'll take a little while to break. Um, so if you are a member of the Ubuntu's forums and you use the password you use there anywhere else, you probably want to go to anywhere else and change your password to some, and don't just like add a one to it. Change your password. So if you are using dog, use cat. Um, so, 
But anyway, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to mention this is because, you know, when a forum place like that gets hacked, you know, a lot of people, hopefully you're not the same one who uses the same password on your email account that you do on sites you sign up to with that email account. Um, so, it, you know, just reminder there, change your password and hey, look, the Ubuntu forums got hacked. And the next two items we can't uh, do because one of them is hosted on the H online and another one is an announcement on the H online that the H online is going away, but it's already gone away and we can't click on it. So just know that the website, the H online, where we have often gotten links for this roundup and for this show is no more. Wait, you can't get there? No, I can't get there. Really? I, I, yeah. So, um. I didn't know. I mean, I knew that the final H roundup came out on the 19th. So two days ago, and it, it was one of the sites I did not go to it for news, but a lot of the places I went to news lick, uh, went there. And so about a couple of weeks ago, I was like, well, I'm going to add that to the places I look. And so, yeah. And unfortunately it says that, um, uh, the basic reason was they could not figure out a way to monetize the um aggregation of stories that they came up with so they're like we can't afford to stay open anymore uh we love you guys but peace out we're done so um that was the thing so another news story bites the dust chris can you get to it i get a connection reset by peer yep i do i do too yeah so seth you're probably looking at a cached version of of the site I uh, must be. Well, that's weird because I mean I did not go to it before today, so I only I clicked on these stories. Um, well, let me like rephrase it. I can get afternoon. to the one that it's. Uh, I can get to the the site that it says farewell. H is closing down. But if I try to go to the other story, I get a peer. I can't get there. Yeah. So. So anyway, maybe it's maybe it's slowly shutting down, and we just can't reach stories. Uh, well, the other story was, um, you know, we talked last week about the how malware could infiltrate Android stores and they could change the apps, but yet not fail the validation. Well, apparently some Chinese security bloggers have discovered an alternative way to do that. So it kind of does the same thing, but did it in a different way. So, uh, you know, in Google released the, a patch to fix what was called blue box um, secu- uh, signature attack, but apparently this is something separate they will have to fix. And that was what I was talking about. So Android is still in trouble, as is its uh, sort of kissing cousin, if you will, uh, Sun, is shutting down another of its projects the uh, virtualization desktop infrastructure. Yeah, Oracle yeah. is doing a good job of just uh, shutting down everything they buy. Um, I don't know why they bought it. In, uh, but anyway, so yeah, Oracle has they stopped development on, the, um, on its virtual desktop infrastructure, Sunray software, hardware, and their virtual desktop client products. Now, they're still keeping... Um, Secure global desktop, which I've never used, but one that we've mentioned often on the show, VirtualBox, they are still keeping that at least, um, at least for today. So, um, 
they're closing off, they're shutting down some more of the things from when they acquired Sun. And, um, I, I mean, you know, of course it makes sense if something's not doing good, you, you cut the loss and move on, you streamline your business. I understand that, you know, and it's the price of progress, old stuff that doesn't work anymore gets, uh, cast off, but we wanted to just mention it here. So, you know, Oracle, they seem to have like, if, if you were to lay out a roadmap of things not to do to make the open source community mad, somebody took that, erased the word not, and gave it to uh, Oracle to do. And uh, <laughs> Oracle, they seem to be making all of the wrong moves uh, where PR is concerned. They're, they're still a multi-billion dollar company, so I don't know if it hurts their bottom line, but, you know, it does give us something to talk about. Right. And uh, just go, go ahead, Chris. <clears throat> I was going to say, now it's going to make me wonder if how long they're going to keep VirtualBox open, though. Because if they're starting to shut things down in their virtual desktop infrastructure, um, how long until they pull the developers off of VirtualBox to put them somewhere else? Yeah, but you could argue that why are we... You know, they would say, well, we have these two competing products. We don't need to compete against ourselves. So we're taking the resources from one to make the other better. And that's probably what some Oracle evangelist is out there trying to spout if people would listen. But, you know, I'm kind of like you. I'm like, what else are they going to close down? You know, I would just like to reach a point in my life where I can buy a $2 billion company and shut it down. It would just, that's an aspirational goal for man, of, of mine, <laughs> is to be able to spend $2 billion on something I don't want. Hey, that hamburger over there is gross. I'll give you $2 million for it and throw it in the trash. I, that's that's a, an aspiration of mine. You know, it'd be nice to someday say we have that much clout, but I have a feeling it's going to be a long <laughs> pull. I need lots and lots of people to go to elementopi.com and click the tip jar so that I can throw away billions of dollars on things I don't want. Yeah, or at least start out going to elementopi.com slash Amazon for all of your purchasing there you needs. There you go. So uh, in 1993, Windows uh, Microsoft released a new version of Windows that was going to save the company. Windows for Workgroups 3.11. I had that. I installed that. It came on, I think, yep. six uh, floppy disk, 1.44 inch floppy disk, or uh, Meg, three and a half inch floppy disks. And uh, the, the first new medium, one or two were DOS, weren't they? Right. Yeah, it was the new medium of the time, the three and a half inch floppy disks. They were they were uh, really cutting edge. Uh, well, in a wink and a nod, the new Linux kernel, 3.11, pays homage I mispronounced that on purpose. Pays homage to the old Windows for work groups. Yes, Linus announces that the Linux kernel 3.11 is called Linux for work groups. I thought it was uh, I thought it was kind of fun and he they're having some fun with it and but basically there's not going to be a lot of new stuff on this kernel. They're just kind of going to be refining um, what they've got and to make it better. But yeah, Much like so, Windows 3.11. There wasn't anything it new no in it. So, yeah. yeah that was, uh, go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say, Windows 3.11, that's the first Windows I ever saw. So, that was uh, that was the first Windows I ever saw was Windows 3.11. And, I, always, and they, I thought it was good. They even went so far as to make a new logo 
for Linux 3.11. It's Tux waving a little flag that looks a little bit like the old Microsoft Windows flag. There's a, a few too many squares on it, and the colors aren't quite right, uh, but it, it definitely harkens back to the days of that little flag flying on the Windows 3.11 for work groups. So yeah, um, Windows 3.11 is the first one I ever played with, you know, actually installed and uninstalled or and blew away. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that, that brings back some memories. <laughs> I go a little farther back than that. I remember Windows 3.0. Uh, they actually wow, did release. Really? They actually did release Windows 1.0 to like 90 people in the world. Um, most of us don't remember it though. Yeah, and there's I a reason, say, Mark. You are an awful lot older than me. <laughs> <laughs> OpenStack has a birthday. I don't know why cool. that's a big deal, but it's in the notes. So here you go. Three years ago. Yeah, well, OpenStack you know, OpenStack is um, it's one of the more popular cloud programs around. Um, it's champion, championed by um, the Linux. Ah, golly, what is it called? The, Rackspace and uh, the NASA. Linux Consortium, you know, whatever yes. it is. Uh, the people who run Linux.com, they are big on it because it's open source and it's, you know, anti-establishment by making it's on establishment um, kind of thing. So anyway, it's been out there for three years. It started out really pretty good and it's kind of gotten even better. And, um, you know, it's three years old. So happy birthday, OpenStack. Yeah, it's still not a big deal yet, but it's one of those things that's that, you know, three years, it's gained a lot of traction. Um, and like I said, Rackspace yeah. is not is no small uh, company, and NASA um, helped develop it. And so, uh, yeah, OpenStack has a, a lot of of uh, tier one backers: HP, IBM, Red Hat, VMware. Um, and yeah. they're uh, the idea of of being able to take an an end to end um, server platform and just spin it up whenever you want to was sort of uh, a moonshot a few years ago and now anybody can do it so yeah nice job uh racks or open stack yeah here's to many many more and in something that's been around a little longer slackware turns 20 oh my it's, god uh, the pimples are starting to clear up it's uh it's entering its second year of college it's trying to decide on a major uh Slackware is 20 years old. Yeah. I was like, wow. I mean, it's uh, one of the older distros to have uh, lasted that long. And it's still there and it's still going and it is still chugging along. And, um, you know, I've still never touched it. So here's to 20, <laughs> <laughs> here's to 24 years Slackware. Uh, that's one I've never actually played with with Slackware. It's one of the few distros that I've never played with. The scary thing is, you know, 20 years ago was 1993. Uh, right. Lots of things happened around that time. You know, Linux recently turned 20, as I recall. Um, and so the, you're going to start seeing these kind of birthdays. And it, it's just, if you're a, a, an old guy like me who remembers when it first came out, you really start to feel your age when when this thing that was a, a neophyte project when you were first starting out is now 20 years old. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, wow. 
So yeah, I uh, and apparently you can still find an archive of Slackware one dot one dot two available for download on some mirror site somewhere. So uh, you know something that came out on three and a half inch floppies, and there were probably five and a half or was it five and a quarter uh, floppies of this around? Um, yes, that's. That's a long time to have lasted. And, you know, you think about how many Linux distros are created and discarded every hour of every day for one to have lasted 20 I think years. We lost That's that. really saying something. How many Linux Looks distros like have been created and discarded in that amount of time? Um, it's staggering. Oh, it's beyond. That's just nuts. Because they're, you know, they spin up every week. So <laughs> or I'll, every I'll, other day. Move on to the next story. Let's say say you wanted to uh, survey mobile developers and find out what they think. How many is a good number? Well, um, this particular survey uh, res- uh, reported in VentureBeat.com said 6,000 is a pretty good number. 6,000 yeah, mobile developers from 115 countries. So there's a, a global look at it. And uh, they said uh, iOS makes the most money. Uh Android has the most developers, and they're most excited about Windows. Well, about which one? I'm most excited might be the wrong word, but that's <laughs> the one. That's the one most people are planning to develop for next because they're already working on the other stuff. And uh, you know, BlackBerry, its numbers are comparable <laughs> to Windows Phone, but it's dying. And of course, nothing else is probably going to last very much longer. But yeah, so. You know, if Symbian, you, Symbian, the the once giant behemoth of the mobile market, clocks in at like one percent of the market now. I can't. It's so small in the graph. I can't even read the number. It's a little blip on the scope. Um, it's it's how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, but you know, one thing this article, this survey, kind of debunked is if you listen to tech news you know if you develop for apple you're like a millionaire and if you develop for android you're a pauper and while um you know apple developers average about fifty two hundred dollars per month in app revenue uh android developers pull in forty seven hundred so yes apple makes more but those numbers are you know i mean they're pretty comparable um and uh, 71% of developers are developing for Android, 56% are developing for iOS, and 35% are planning to develop for Windows. So, you know, a lot of developers are cross-platform, and they do many, uh, many phones at once. And, you know, with HTML5, hopefully we'll get to the thing where you can develop one app and it be able to run anywhere. So... It was just kind of neat, Mark. I know you love statistics, so yes. uh, I, and numbers are two of your favorite things on the show. So uh, I like to throw some of those out there just to satisfy you. Um, but yeah, the mm-hmm. average developer the report shows builds for two point nine ecosystems simultaneously, um, and that's 2.9. down. Yeah. yeah, it's down from three point two. So apparently, uh, you know, one it just shows nobody develops for BlackBerry anymore. And two, people are beginning to get more specialized. And why do so many people develop for Android? Because Google is activating a freaking 1.5 million a day. If you're not uh, developing for Android, you're missing a pretty darn big market. 
No yep. Um, you know, 99 cents a pop isn't much, but if a million people download it, 99 cents a pop, then, you know, you got a penny or two to rub together. So, yeah, they Google has activated over 900 million Android phones or Android devices since its 2008 launch. Now, again, I, I'm sure not all of those are in use because, hey, I've got this Android phone and I'm going to upgrade that for one that actually works, uh, you know, because the first ones that came out, you know, they left a lot to be desired. Um, but to think that, you know, at 1.5 million a day, it's not going to take them very long to reach 1 billion with a B activations. Well, they're around 900 million as it is. So they don't have right. too far to go. So what is that? Uh, 60 days they should be there in the next sometime in this quarter. Yeah. Um, you know, you figure September. It will, and actually, maybe even late August, because a lot of people, you know, back to school time is whenever they upgrade, whether they're upgrading computers or, you know, tablets or smartphones. It's like, hey, I'm headed off to school, mom and dad. Don't you want to get me a new phone so you can keep tabs on me? Sure, son. Here's a brand new Android, you know, whatever. Uh, it Today, it would be a Samsung something, but, you know, maybe tomorrow it will be the Moto X. And poor Microsoft is just trying to keep up. And the best way they know how to do it is by giving away an expensive piece of hardware. The Windows <laughs> RT tablets, they've been just begging people to take. And uh, some numbers say they've lost as much as $900 million this quarter on those devices. Oof. Yeah. And a lot of it has well, to do with because they, you know, they made between 3 to $5 million and they sold somewhere around $1 million. Um, but yeah, but here's the thing, even though they lost 900 million due to what they call inventory adjustments, uh, windows eight or windows, their windows division still made wads of cash. So, um, windows revenue still increased year over year and they lost 900 million on this section of their windows revenue. So Microsoft, if you want to get rid of some of those tablets, send one to me. I want a surface RT for uh, $200 or less. I'll you take know, one bet, for free just so I can I, see if I put Linux on it. Th that's what you, I'm going to do. If you tweeted Microsoft, that's probably all it would take. Hey, at Microsoft, can I get a Surface RT? And they'd probably say, sure, what's your address? They're they're literally giving them away. At, at ISTE, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, the, the uh, education conference, they were. It was just, come get one. I don't remember what the number of them was, but they gave away several hundred, maybe a couple of thousand. Just, you know, here's a booth here. First X number of people who get here, get one. No questions asked. Come get it. Now, did they get to keep them or did they have to give them back when it was over? They did. I, I When we talked about it before, I thought that they had to return them, but it turns out, no, they, they're, they're yours. Take it. Go ahead. So all of you people in education, I will give you a hundred dollars <laughs> for your tablet. I, I, I cause I want to try to put a Linux OS on it because I bet it would run Linux very smoothly because the hardware specs on it aren't that bad. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really want one to, uh, to play around with. And, you know, I mean, that's all I ever do with computers is play on them. So. And uh, so, in what what seems like an incongruous story, we we transition to the one laptop per child. This um, 
yuppie idea of of giving a, an inexpensive, durable platform to uh, third world kids has now pretty much become another cheap Android tablet. Oh, yeah, um, you know when it was first released, it ran um, what was it, Sugar Linux, um, and you know it had the green case and the strong antennas for connecting to hotspots far away and stuff like that. And their goal was a hundred dollars per device, but that was just because a hundred is a nice round number, and they never bothered to add up the price of their components. Um, but and then you know it never took off, and this was right before or right about the time that Android uh, came out, and then so you know there started to be a run on cheap tablets, and so now they've gone from this laptop to a cheap tablet um, that you can get by, you know, and this article mentions a lot of them and they're like marketed now. I don't know if exclusively through Walmart or if Walmart is just the first or biggest one. It still kind of has the iconic green borders um, and the interface is, it's not the same, but you could see how, Hey, that kind of reminds me of that interface. And, you know, the person who wrote this, is talking about how oh one laptop per child has lost their way and now they've gone from you know giving poor kids access to the internet to trying to market to suburban middle class america and you know and that could definitely be the case but if you can get the suburban middle class america to buy these then you could have the capital to do something with it so and that's always been one laptop her child's biggest thing is they haven't had the money to do things big so you know who knows maybe they maybe they'll get some from this i don't know that i would buy it because it just doesn't look like something i would want but well it's aimed squarely at kids in both incarnations right. and and you know it, mm-hmm. possibly as Dowdle was saying in the chat room and others have said maybe they want to uh sell these so they can make some money and they can take that money and distribute laptops to the third world uh i i had uh the opportunity to use um an xopc um uh, way back uh when they i'm i don't i think they were even pre-release uh, i i was at a, a meeting of some sort and they had a couple of them and i got to play with them and they, they were really cool pieces of equipment and for 150 bucks they really crammed a lot of stuff into to them the one that i used uh didn't have a uh, battery it had a crank so no electricity needed no charging you crank it up uh it had a, a monochrome screen because the the bright color screen would just be too much for the crank laptop um and so you know a western kid who has an xbox and a and a plasma tv in his bedroom is not going to be impressed with that but a third world kid who has nothing, no access to technology, maybe maybe there's a cell phone in the village, and that's the technology they have. Uh, this is a really big deal, and I was I was into the idea back then, and I'm still into it now. It's just that the the economics of it have never really developed. You know, the idea is we'll sell one to the Western world for twice the the amount, and everyone we sell there will give one away. But the Western world didn't want it. There were better yep. options available for less money at twice the cost, uh, and so it just didn't work. So I'm all for if Nic- Nicholas Negroponte can figure out a way to keep go- moving forward with his mission, great. Um, but it sure smells like a sellout. 
Well, let's hope yeah. it isn't. Let's hope that it, it's the idea of they need the capital up to get to make a purchasing powers for those um, one laptop per child. Because I think it's a great idea. Let's hope that he's not selling out and this is just a way to get capital to do his grand idea. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's what it is. You're right. It does. It you know what's the old saying? If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm hoping that because yeah, it, there's nothing to differentiate this except the altruistic name of one laptop per child. Oh, I'm gonna buy this and help out. That you know, I, hopefully they're not just trying to gut that for one run of uh, cheap tablets. I don't know. Maybe they should have run an ad with Sally Struthers saying, do you want to make more money? That seemed to work pretty well back in the day. Nobody got that joke but me, but that's okay. I no, I got it. it. That was good. I liked it. <laughs> um, okay. And so in our final story, let's talk about Verizon being hacked. Uh-oh. Nice. Yeah. Um, two security experts say they have figured out how to spy on the Verizon uh, wireless and mobile phone customers by hacking into the devices that the carrier sells to boost wireless signals indoors. Um, what what happens is if you live in kind of a fringe area or, you know, there's a lot of different EMI and stuff that makes it where you cannot get a good cell phone, like you get one or two bars in your house, you can mount this device and it will kind of um, extend the Verizon area where you can get good service in your house. Now, if you don't have Verizon service anywhere and you put this up, you still won't have Verizon service, but it kind of takes the fringe areas and it boosts the signal by being a repeater and making it better for you. And so apparently these people figured out how to take and hack them. So now they can spy on you. And again, nice. you know, these are, these are white hats people. So, and apparently the device the thing has been fixed um on on thing on current versions but you know if you have an old version out there say one you know you bought you bought one off ebay because you didn't want to pay however much it costs for to buy a new one you're you would be in danger or you know and again this this isn't to say that people are going around actively looking for these and are you know and are are out or have a vendetta against you to steal your netflix password and ruin your account it's just saying that hey these aren't secure and we figured out how to do it so uh you know not trying to be doom and gloom the sky is falling with the you know fear uncertainty and destruction kind of stuff but it's just it was a cool story and uh i just wanted to talk about it uh yeah the idea is not that the network was hacked and not that the phones were hacked. So, you know, we just want to be um, sure that we're, you know, being editorially um, right precise when we say this. These particular network range extenders, known as their femto cells, the article says, um, mm-hmm. have been hacked. Now, I would imagine there aren't a lot of people using those. And the ones who are using them are, by definition, geographically isolated. Because that's why they're using one. So uh, they're uh, not um, they're not in a, a cluster. They're not they're not likely to be randomly 
uh, spied upon. So somebody would have to be targeting them specifically. They'd have to be in a rural area. They would have to be have purchased this device and installed it. And then somebody specifically targeting them would have to hack the device. Then and only then uh, would they be unsafe. So it really is. It's or- a it's a canary in the coal mine right now. It's not a big deal, but it portends things to come. Or I could buy one of these and walk around with a battery pack. Um, and you know, people would then just as they were, it would just show up as another tower in, in some place like an airport or a burst terminal where somebody with a big roll on thing wouldn't look that suspicious. And then you think you're connecting to a, a Verizon tower whenever you're entering your uh, Chase bank account number on your phone to see or check your balance. And then what you've just done is because they're able to hack this hotspot, they've performed a man-in-the-middle attack. So again, this is just proof of concept, and it's not the sky is falling, but it has the potential to be pretty serious. Yeah, I didn't even think about that angle, but sure, you could park that, put that thing in a van and park it outside a an office building and start sniffing right. track it, uh, sniffing or, traffic. Or, yeah, walk around the mall, you know, some store where people are doing, you know, are using their phone to pay or something. And yeah, you could uh, you could totally do that. See, and one of the things that these things do, because um, I've looked into them just because of my wife's phone and, you know, at their school that we are at, the, there's, the coverage just doesn't penetrate very well. Um, the other thing you could do is they do have offer these things as um, you connect them up to a DSL or cable network and then they use your internet to boost the signal as well. So you don't yes. technically have to be in a range or an area where there's Verizon. You could just hook this up to your you know, a modem. And then be doing the same basic attack as well. Yeah, the uh, former host of the show, Aaron Butler, has one of those in his house that connects yep. to his uh, Verizon. Uh, is it Verizon or is it Sprint? I forget which company he's with, but it's the same thing. It's plugged into oh, his internet service, which is the same company, and it 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 creates um, essentially a VoIP. So when you're in his house, you have four bars on your phone. Um, but it's actually connect uh, transmitting over the internet, not over the airwaves. Right. Yeah, I've looked at getting one at my house because I can have between zero and four bars uh, in the exact same location um, at any time. So, you know, it would be nice to get some real coverage. And I've, I've thought about getting, of course, it's not Verizon because Verizon, they've never heard of Banzant County. But, um, <laughs> AT&T is the monopoly we're stuck with um, out there. Well, as far as Verizon goes, um, the the particular device that they have in their shop right now is currently out of stock and a price tag of $250. So I'm sure the reason they're marked as out of stock right now is because they're retrofitting this fix into all the ones they currently have in stock. But uh, I would say if you are a person that does have bad connection in your in your home, this would be a good thing to get because it is something you could easily ex- get your cell phones to work, especially if you don't have a home connection. But just remember that if these are bought for, off of eBay, you may be in trouble. Right. All right. So now that you're scared, that's the end of our show. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't have a command tip this week, but we do have 
a Seth link. Go, Seth, go. Okay, I came across this a while back ago, and I've been holding it in my uh, in my bag of tricks, and it is angryalien.com, and whenever you go there, it's the 32nd Bunnies Theater Library, so, you know, you, you find some movie, and they have a wide, sur- a wide selection of different genres um, that you can click on, and it kind of gives you a 30-second synopsis of the film acted out by very badly drawn uh bunnies and i just thought it was kind of funny so uh you know like you can do caddyshack and uh it's caddyshack in 30 seconds and reenacted by bunnies yeah i'm watching die hard right now (laughs) die hard in 30 seconds and reenacted by bunnies um (laughs) it's uh, it's if you've never experienced it you have to experience it um, cause it's just, you can't describe it. It's bunnies. Yeah. And it's important plot points told every, you know, half a second. I just did evil dead too. And that was quite <laughs> comical. So there you go. That's, uh, how about them bunnies? As Seth's calling it, uh, angry alien. So if you like that, or if you don't like that, the way to let us know is to go to our newly up and running again website, elementop.com, and uh, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Or if you're an email kind of guy and you just want to tap out something from Gmail, go to uh, send it to edl at elementop.com. That'll go to all of us. Either way, it works just the same. Or you can... uh, Oh, by the way, I left out something because I skipped over the ad and i didn't want to ignore it entirely uh it was just such a good intro to the ad that i forgot to do it our good friend from the chat room mr dowdle um has another um response to the se linux episode i'm not going to play it on the show because it's four it's over four minutes long and it's a little technical and it's it uh, i just didn't think it would translate well uh to the podcast um audience uh but i'm going to put a link to it in the website then uh, you can go there and download Dowdle's defense of SE Linux. So I, I didn't want to shortchange him, but at the same time, it's a little too long to put into a show. So if you yourself would like to have some comments that uh, I don't put into a show, uh, you can uh, you can send me an audio file as Dowdle did, or you can uh, uh, use our Google Voice hotline five five nine I am Opie is the phone number anywhere inside the continental North American land mass, or you can just go over again once to uh, once again to our website. Use the uh, leave us a voicemail widget. Google Voice will call you. And you can leave a message. If you live outside the country or just don't want to do that, again, you can just simply send me uh, an audio file or a link to an audio file. Try to keep it under a minute. Uh, two minutes is is getting long, um, but a minute is nice. Uh, and that way we can keep the show rolling. We love hearing from you, and uh, I look forward to having more listener feedback to put in next week's show. I'd love to have a new, a whole uh, all-listener feedback show coming up soon, so we need you guys to send your questions and comments. And thank you, Snake Eyes and others like you who have um, endured the pain that is uh, installing and using uh, iTunes so that you can go over to the iTunes store and leave us a rating and a review. We appreciate that. Um, also, whatever, uh, whatever, wherever you listen to us, 
if you find us on Stitcher Radio or, or Last FM or wherever you find us, uh, if there's an opportunity to leave a review, do that. If there's an opportunity to give us a rating, do that, please. But most importantly, uh, just spread the word. Tell your friends about it. If you like the show, maybe they will too. And uh, the best you could do is to help us grow by sharing uh, your uh, love of the show with others. If you hate the show, keep it to yourself. If you love the show, <laughs> tell everybody. So uh, thanks, as always, for being a listener. Thank you, Chris and Seth, for being the best hosts I can afford and uh, for being pretty darn good guys at the same time. <laughs> so I'm calling it. I'm going to say try. that ends this episode of Everyday.